Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. Ah, damn it. Ugh. John, can you help me come fix this, please? John? Really? I'm going to have to call a handyman over this? All right, let's see. Here's one. William Fife Handyman Services. Services include general contracting. Uh, let's see. Mutilation. Torture. Necrophilia. What the fuck? This looks like it's going to be like an iced tea. I don't think so. It looks like my I'm going to be sorely departed. De- departed. departed. <laughs> Disappointed. Probably. I mean, it's not the worst thing, but it definitely does not taste like iced tea. It tastes like a refreshing beer. Until October 31st, which is Halloween, Applebee's, yes, Applebee's, is doing 50 cent Long Island iced teas. Do we even have an Applebee's around here? I don't know if there, there is was that there's a Jim and Nick's there now. Uh, where? Right right over here. Right by Oh, um, that was an Applebee's? Yeah, oh. that was an Applebee's. There might be one that's in Somerville. Well, guys, we had another talk murder to me event. We actually have had two since we recorded last. That's right. What do you mean two? We had our, we had our live show, show in Savannah. Yeah. And we went to the haunted jail. Oh. Which was a result of our live show previously. Yes. Which that guy doesn't believe Lavinia Fisher is a serial killer. But you know what I believe? I even believe I believe in ghosts even more because I got Ain't some, nothing touch you. I I swear on my own soul that on my own soul. That, Yeah, that's a that's a big It's like a, I think what happened to you is kind of like the thing that happens when you play on a Ouija board. Somebody moves the thing. No one fucking moved. That thing brushed against. There was no denying what happened. I think you stepped back. I didn't step. I didn't move. You said your friend's pants cord. No, the cord to the fan that was on the ground. Just because you're stepping all over cords. I did not mean there's ghosts. I did not move. Just because you guys didn't get touched or or. Spoken I didn't to. Get touched because ghosts don't exist. Cords don't just move by themselves, especially when the fan is not plugged in. So someone please explain to me how a cord moved when no one else moved and brushed my foot. Like on the sure top of my foot. Brush the, cord the top with of your my foot? foot, John. Like not like not like oh how do you know it, it was a, a cord, it was dark in there. Because I felt him. I had sandals on. I had sandals on. It's not like I was wearing sneakers. You know what this is? This is a case of apophenia. Okay? Since you're the psychologist, you should know good and well what this term is. Is basically wanting something to be there that's actually not. No, it's not. You wanted a ghost. No, I didn't want a ghost. So bad. I, no, I did not want a ghostly encounter. Y'all know I don't mind, fuck with ghosts. Your mind I did not want a ghostly encounter. I wanted the ghost to stay very damn well away from me. And it did not. Then you're the only person out of 30 people that got touched by a ghost? No. Someone else was talking about things that they saw and heard. I just need some backup here from our friends that were at the event because... Yeah, they were... I know that they heard a noise down the hallway when we were in one of the rooms. Huge, huge thank uh, you to Southbound Brewery. Yes, thank you guys so much. Seriously, 
amazing hosts. Um, we had an awesome time. We this was the first time where we actually had our own beer brewed for us. It was really good. It was delicious. And we're super honored. And we would absolutely come back to Savannah now. Um, our next show is Charlotte on November 15th. It's a Be- Friday. It's a Friday night. Hopefully you're getting paid that night. Oh, so, I do get paid that night. There you go. So be sure to get your tickets now. They are starting to um, sell pretty quickly. So be sure to get your tickets in advance. Can't guarantee a spot at the door um, if they sell out. So get them now. Oh, welcome to our newest Taco Supremo, Kara. Welcome, Kara. Thank you for joining our group. Welcome. We can't wait to learn more about you and your weird fetishes with serial killers. Hooray! Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. All right. So we're drinking pee and chasing it with doo-doo water. Cheers. Oh, yes. That was good. Chocolate Baileys. Mm. And? Whiskey? Mm-mm. Doo-doo water? Praline. Yeah. That was delicious. Yeah, I thought it was doo-doo water. So I told you the hint was handyman. We are doing some handyman work at the house. Mm-hmm. And Nicole, as she went down the list of everything for the handyman to do, my selective hearing kicked in. And I actually heard none of it, but I was thinking <laughs> in my mind... I wonder if there's a handyman killer out there. Oh, is this really your inspiration? Yeah, it's my inspiration. Well, we didn't guess, so. Yes! (laughs) Canada, you're the best. (laughs) But just kidding. You're actually a little concerning. Wait, this is kind of like Bruce MacArthur, isn't it? Oh, and huge shout out to Abby, who gave us our second fan mail Thanks, Abby. Love our gifts. Yeah. Amazing. So we're actually reading from the book she gave us tonight. Really? Ooh, big book of serial killers by Jack Rosewood. He's a great author. And Rebecca Lowe, which I've been hearing her name quite often in the true crime content creator circles, if you will. So I know she's up and coming. It's an encyclopedia of serial killers. We'll actually be reading from it today. All right. So super stoked. All right, tonight we are going to October 15th, 19... It's like... What? Almost exactly... I mean, it's October 20th today. 21st. 21st. October 15th, 1999. Ooh. 1999. All right, Nicole, tell me where Quebec is. Quebec. Quebec. Tell me where Quebec is. Quebec is on the eastern side of Canada, hugging the coast. Uh, so you, I've actually been to Quebec, actually. Quebec City. I want to go. All right. So we're going to Seneville, S-E-N-N-E-Ville, Quebec. And that is on an island, actually, a very ah. affluent island. And this is actually a suburban village. Very wealthy. Very, very wealthy homes. I'm talking about, like, there was a castle Ooh. That I saw there that was like so sick. Ooh, what's, what's the li- Zillow price on that thing? I don't know, like a jillion. Anyway, they're mostly waterfront because they're hugging the island. And that's mm-hmm. where we're going tonight. 59-year-old Anna Yarnold, she is an avid gardener and actress who produced plays for the Lakeshore Players, a West Island theater company. Her neighbor said she bought the white brick house about five years ago. She's been living there alone ever since. Okay, her daughter Sarah says, quote, 
My mother's best trait would be her ability to have fun, to be spontaneous and get fun out of anything. And here's a picture of her. And go to talkmore.com. I'm putting all the pictures. She looks like a nice lady. This is from the Gazette, Montreal Gazette, a report from one of the neighbors. He says, quote, the houses are very secluded here, and it is hard to hear what is going on at your neighbor's because we are far away. We're at October 15th, 1999. She is an avid gardener, like I said. Now, she her her body was discovered. Oh. So she was discovered by her husband mm. in the backyard, right huh. by, literally, in the flower bed. Oh. Yeah. Here's how this plays out. The morning of October 14th, so a day earlier, she wakes up and she has this little pooch named Trooper. Now, Trooper is an aged dog, you know, getting older and older and older. Aww. And he developed a little lump on his side. That's common. Fatty yes, lumps. common. Well, she took it to the vet and the vet said it's cancerous. Mm, I'm sad. And, you know, they explained the surgery prices and all that stuff. So being a single living woman, she goes home and calls her daughter and her husband to kind of get, I mean, they're, they're separated, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. They're not like divorced yet. They're just separated. But she calls them to kind of get an idea about what to do. Right. You know, because the it's dog's... A big decision. Yeah. Do you do surgery when a dog's older? Exactly. So she was stressing over that. So when they tried to call her, I think 530 is the last time the daughter of that same day got in touch with her. After that, no one could get in touch with her. This was a, an extremely violent death. Oh, the dad comes. He looks all through the house. The dog trooper is locked in the bedroom and it's dark outside when he gets there. So he goes outside and he finds his wife, finds his wife. Her head is completely caved in and there's a a flower pot laying right beside her that was used to. It was a smash her head in. Yeah, it was a concrete flower pot. Uh. This is from her daughter, Sarah. Quote, where he found her was just beyond the screen porch. There was a triangle flower bed. She was face down in that flower bed. And like I said, no one actually heard the crime being committed because neighbors are so far away from each other. When the detectives get there, they find a few things to map out the crime scene. Number one, her glasses were in the bathroom sink hmm. and like crushed up in the sink. Did she need the glasses to see all the time? Were they just reading glasses or distance glasses? Oh, I don't know. But they figured out that the attack must have occurred in the bathroom. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, one really important point about this and the other ones I'm going to tell you about is there's no forced entry whatsoever. Hmm. Okay. No locks broken. No window panes broken. So whoever killed her had to use some kind of ruse or whatever. Was to get um, into the house. Was it during the day that they think she was killed? No, because remember I said the dad, or excuse me, the daughter tried to call her mom like at 530 the last time they talked to her. And then the dad tried to call later that night and could get no response. So he waited until the next day to go over there. So it was, it was night. Okay. Yeah, well, it I was, was thinking, nighttime, yeah. I was thinking if it was the middle of the day, maybe someone was like, hey, you're... I need to come check your internet router. Do you mind if I come, you know, like pretending to be the cable guy? Yeah. The attacker actually, however he got in, which we'll discuss later, he grabs her by the hair and there's hair all over. Oh. 
oh, the, man. Uh, the house, including like the bathroom. There was Yikes. hair stuck to her glasses and stuff like that. Clumps of her hair in the kitchen. She has defensive wounds. So let me break down kind of how it is. She was attacked in the bathroom. She got away initially from the attacker and then actually made it all the way outside. And she was probably screaming or whatever. But that's what I'm saying. The neighbors didn't hear. So that's where she was killed outside. So she almost got away from the attacker. Mm. After she fell, because just like one of those horror movies where she's running from the attacker and she's ahead of him, but then she trips and falls. Like that literally happened here. You know, he turns her over on her back and starts beating her face. And words Oof. that I've heard used in many articles, many newspapers was, beaten to a bloody pulp. That's not a lot of times you hear that. So he is just beating her in the face and eventually, and she's probably already close to being dead right there. He picks up this flower pot and slams it down on her and that's it. She's dead. After that, he goes back inside and robs her. What he does is goes into the bedroom and steals her credit card. He actually goes to the ATM and withdraws money. So at some point, this is important, he must have had tortured her for the PIN number. And in many of these cases I'm going to talk to you about tonight, because he has the PIN number. So the cops uh, get a lot of shit for this case, and they probably should because they did a really shitty job. But they kept blaming the husband. Even till this day right now, today, they still have not issued a public apology for the husband. And they treated him like total shit. They threw him all over the media the whole time saying, trying to get him to confess. You know, the husband is always a suspect. Yeah, but they they didn't even look for anyone else, it seems like. He wasn't considered a suspect in their eyes, but he was considered a person of interest. But he was fully cooperating the entire time. It took this photo to rule out the husband right here. I'm putting all these photos on talkmar.com. This is the killer, and you notice one thing about it. He has a beard. He has a beard. So this was taken, this was like an ATM photo that was taken after he killed Anna Mm -hmm. and used her card. He almost looks like John Goodman's character in The Big Lebowski. So he has a beard the husband did not. That's the only thing. Then the cops finally said, okay, it's not you. The reality is, is they flubbed this whole thing up and they let this guy kill a shit ton of people. The public reaction was awful. You're talking about a single woman living by herself in a very wealthy, literally on an island in a very wealthy area of Canada. Like, how is that going to go well? It didn't. It went awful. All police really did was tell everyone not to answer their door for strangers. That's like all they Hmm. did. That's, That's pretty much rule of thumb number one, though. Nothing very special there. All right. So I'm going to just go and jump right into it. I'm going to tell you the killer tonight. So I was looking up a killer handyman. (laughs) Uh, I typed that in Google and there is someone with the moniker, the killer handyman. So I was like, well, fuck, that is perfect. Anyway, we are talking about Canadian serial killer and straight monster, William Fife. Now, this is him right here. Oh, now, does, does that picture dude. remind you of anything at all? Any any movies? Any, Bruce Willis with hair. Kind of. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but also a mix between Bruce Willis and Steve Buscemi. Here is, at least in my mind, what I think this guy reminds me of. And I'll put this on talkmore.com. 
Ghostbusters <laughs> two a little bit. I it's just like the way he's looking. That's Vigo from uh, Ghostbur Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, the painting demon. <laughs> what? I Vigo, the scourge of Carpathia, the sorrow of Moldavia, command you. Oh, command me, Lord. I mean, just aged a little bit more. Yeah, but look at the wrinkles on his head. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. But I mean, that guy just has white hair in, in comparison. Doesn't they kind of look the same? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, the same I see look. it. Just a different nose, <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah, different nose and different hair. So, thank you so much, Abby, or Tacos Primo, for sending me that book because... He was in there. Yeah, he's in there. And I looked, and I was like, that's perfect. And the great thing about that book is it just... It doesn't really go into the whole story. Like, basically, each serial killer has one, maybe two pages, but it, it lists all the the important information that you need. For instance, date of birth, monikers, number of victims, date of murder span, and then it goes into a little detail. It's a fantastic book. Anyway, cool. this guy was born February 27th, 1955. They call him the handyman killer. Number of victims. Anybody want to take a guess? Six. Five. Between nine and 25. He's a sexual predator, basically. One thing about this story is the victims that were sexually abused, it was all post-mortem. This oh. happened after they died. Well, it's like, not that it's it's still weird, obviously, if you're having sex with a corpse, but possibly even weirder if they're, like, completely deformed and their faces caved in, you know? Yeah. The Montreal Urban Community Police Commander Andre Bouchard said, quote, he didn't choose his victims. He would drive around, get the urge, and start looking for windows. So I'm going to basically tell you the MO. Hmm. You, you're going to figure out real quick the MO. The moniker is perfect. The killer handyman. The ruse was he's a handyman. Do you got anything I can fix around the house? Or, oh. you know, just like the handyman that was here. You know, oh, I do have this bathroom. I want some more molding on the bathroom. Well, I need to look at it. And as soon as he's in your house, you're dead. Yeah, but do people do that in America, really? Just walk around and be like, do you need any work done? Usually we Hell have to... yeah. Some people will ring, yeah, oh, ring I mean, the there's, doorbell. There's people coming up here all the time. Really? You're just not here. You're at work. I get people all the time coming up here asking me. All right, so let's go over the family background. It's really simple. There's not much information about it. But the mother and father were not very good parents. The father, William Edward Fife, takes young Fife... Mm -hmm. Okay, away and puts him with his sister. So basically his aunt is raising him from uh -huh. now on in a low-rent apartment. Not much is known about the mother, but she moves to Montreal. This is a Star Phoenix, December 8, 2001. This is describing the father. This is basically the only information out there about the father. Police describe the father as a harsh and frightening man who beat his son. William Edward Fife was last arrested on a shoplifting charge in British Columbia in 1995 when he was 70 years old. Later in the story, Fife, the killer, actually reconnects with his mother. In fact, hmm. he gets arrested in her home. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think they really had an abusive relationship when he was growing up. But when, hmm. she, when he was three, he didn't see her anymore. So, But they reconnected when he was in his late 30s. Wow. Hmm. I'm sure that was uh, emotionally traumatizing for him, just being separated from his parents. It's because he was sent away to live with his aunt. Like I said, his father was a petty criminal, always getting arrested, and the son followed suit. He was actually arrested 
the killer. Now we're talking about the killer. Yep. William Fife was actually arrested in 1977 when he was only 22 years old. That's when he first started getting arrested. He For... was convicted of abduction, libel, uh... theft, breaking and entering, and pretending to solemnize a marriage, which I looked that up as basically pretending to be like the a priest priest or whatever to grant marriage. I don't know how the fuck he got huh. involved in that. I didn't realize yeah. that that was a crime. Well, yeah, but yeah, it's a crime. But I'm thinking he just tried to scam his way. Oh, yeah, I'll marry you. I'm a priest or whatever. Because this or, whole yeah, time he's, he's like scamming people for money and doing petty crimes. And he'll be your handyman, but then he'll steal all your jewelry kind of stuff. He started doing drugs and a lot of drugs. If the drug money dried up, then he started robbing. He eventually became homeless. Now, he was considered a handyman. From what multiple reports said and people that had worked with him, he actually did pretty decent work and he charged pretty decent prices, hmm. you know. But it's only when the drug money dried up is when he really started robbing people and taking advantage of people. Now, when he got arrested for all this stuff, they sent him to drug rehab. This was in Quebec, and he received the drug addiction treatment and actually completed it. Then he was moved so much by the change in himself that he became a counselor. Oh. Quote, because I enjoyed helping others like me. That's what he said. Wow. Now, this drug rehab place was in St. Hippolyte. I don't know where it's at. Somewhere in Canada. It's got a cool name. Anyway, not much is known about, like, his I mean, literally hardly no information is known about this guy because basically when he got caught, he clammed up and didn't say anything. He's never said anything since. But he was married at one point in 1983, and he does have a kid out there somewhere. Probably wow. doesn't even know is his dad. On December 27th, 1983, he was married after already murdering at least three women. He was 28 at the time of the marriage, and his new wife was just 20. Divorce records suggest a short and unhappy union. By November 1985, the couple had separated, and in February 1988, the woman, who, according to police, was beaten by Fife, was granted un an uncontested divorce. Besides the couple's furniture, she received just one other thing in the divorce, sole custody of the couple's three-year-old son. There's two different hmm. times in his life where he would kill women, and then he literally stopped abruptly and then started again. Kind of like the um, Golden State Killer, right? Yeah. We, right? We talked about that mm -hmm. with him. All right. So the first kill was in 1979 in October. Okay. So he kills 1979, October, November. Then he doesn't kill again. Well, no, I say he doesn't kill again, but there are many unsolved murders. He just never got caught for these murders. Or he may have stopped altogether. No one knows. His next kill was in 1981. Then he stopped again until 1987 then 1989, hmm. and then he took uh, literally a decade off and didn't kill again to 1999. He it's killed so four strange. times in 1999. Yeah, I personally believe, because the cops fucked this whole thing up. Like, they did. They literally flubbed this up, man. You can't even say. But I believe he killed a lot more than he's given credit then for. in the gap, you think he was killing in the gap exactly, years there? Yeah, in the gap years, because there's no way he just stopped for 10 years. You gotta be kidding me. Why would he stop? Well, unless he had a major life event. I mean, maybe there was. There were other killers that we've covered. Like I said, the Golden State Killer had done that, but it's hard to prove either way. Okay, let's talk about the first killing right quick. Susan Marie Bernier. Now, this happened October 17th, 1979. And what's crazy about this one 
Oh, Canada. Remember I told you he was in prison for doing all those petty thefts and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Okay, here, if you want to read this. If you want to read this, Nicole. The killings began one late October morning in 1979 when a young man out on a day pass from prison spotted a middle-aged woman entering her apartment building on Salaberry Ave. I'm sorry, a day pass? Yeah, he was given a day pass, so he was killed. Canada, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) God! Suzanne Marie Bernier was 62 years old and worked from the apartment where she lived alone. William Patrick Fife followed her into the building, entered the dwelling, and stabbed her to death. It would be two days before her concerned employer called police and she was found. That's just like, I just can't get over that. That's like, here you go, we're going to let you out, but don't do anything bad, okay? And he killed someone. Yeah, that's crazy. A day pass? I mean, I get that there's like furlough, but that's rare. Yeah, so that was from the Star Phoenix, Saturday, December 8th, 2001. Anyway, the MO of this guy, no force sentry, like I said. Now, this is the thing that pisses me off about the police in this one. Number one, they barely made the connection in the 80s that there's a serial killer on the on the loose, even though... The M.O. matches up every time. No force entry. No murder weapon present at the house unless it was like that flower pot or something. Usually he would just bring a knife and stab. The murder was not only violent, but as I'll show you, some of the victims were stabbed 55 times, okay, or more. Beaten to a bloody pulp. Raped after death. The use of a credit card. They had, he had to get the pin number by torturing the victims. And the cops barely connected anything. And in fact, they didn't actually consider him an actual serial killer until 1999. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And it's not like he's killing prostitutes. He's killing wealthy women that live alone. That's another part of the MO. The, the women live alone in the house. So obviously he's done his due diligence to see who's living alone. If he's, like, doing enough due diligence to see who's living alone, would it be unreasonable to say maybe he was following the women and could have, you know, found their pin numbers by, like, watching them or something? I don't know. He would break into a home and would attack women who were alone, and the way he killed the victims was the same. The only thing that changed was the age of the victims. Okay, so the question that even cannot be answered today is why did the killing stop so abruptly? And I believe they didn't. He just didn't confess to those murders. But between 1979 and 1999, there have been 85 unsolved murder cases that happened. Now, five. Some with similar MOs? Yeah, similar MOs. Now, Fife may have been responsible for many of these, but he didn't confess to any of them. So we'll get into. That later. Now, who is this guy? Like, I mean, you know how he grew up, but like, who is he? Because he's actually one of those guys that you wouldn't think he's a sexual deviant serial killer. He's actually a very nice guy. I mean, I know I say that all the time, but in mid-1990, the municipality gave him work organizing several sports leagues and maintaining a cross-country ski trail. For Martin Mongrain, there was a certain machismo in the way he handled his organizing the municipal volleyball and badminton leagues. Mongrain taught a gymnastics class to local children just before Fife's games at the school gymnasium. 
She was irritated by the way he would rush her to put away the gymnastic equipment, even though there was a half hour for him to set up his nets. He also actively tried to discourage single women from joining the volleyball games, even though they were open to all, she said. He was a very much macho man who had something to prove to himself, Mongrain, 33, said as she finished a bacon and eggs lunch. He wanted to build himself up to show he was superior. Okay, so let me go through the victims. Uh, Susan Marie Bernier, October 17th, 1979. She was 62 years old. She was stabbed all over the body and face, and she was raped post-mortem. Mm. Now, Nicole Raymond, November 14th, 1979, she was stabbed-beating, same MO. The first responder that showed up actually quoted to one newspaper by an aggressive animal-like attacker. Ooh. Louise Popot LeBlanc, September 26, 1987. She was 37. Now, this is one of the first times that they actually got some of the killer's blood because— and this ah. happens a lot. I mean, you're stabbing someone with a knife and you accidentally nick yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they actually got the killer's blood. I put a picture on Talk Murder of all the evidence photos, but I'll show you one in a second. You can, you can kind of see the blood droplets on the back porch. But uh, another victim, Pauline Laplante, June 9th, 1989. She was 45. Same MO, but this time she was bound and choked out to death mm-hmm. with a telephone cord. And Ooh. she was stabbed 37 times. Oh, my gosh. Overkill. Monique Gadreau, 45, happened three months after the first murder we talked about with Anna. She was a nurse at a local hospital. She was found dead by her sister, and she was stabbed 50, she was stabbed 50 times. Her whole head was mutilated. like She was stabbed in the head. I just don't understand. I know I've said this before, but how can you have so much hate in your heart to stab someone 50-plus times? Right. It's just like it's so much rage yeah. to have. Like, I, I mean, I, I imagine it wouldn't take that many stab attempts to, to take someone's life. It's just right. Andre Bouchard of the Montreal police said about this murder the 55 times, quote, it was evident that you had a real sick person here. This is ridiculous. It is getting pleasure out of stabbing someone. They did find a footprint on this murder. And here's some of the photos right here. So you can barely see it, you know, because it's an old photo. But you see that right there? Yeah. Yeah. That's the bloody footprint. Oh, like the bottom of the shoe track. Yeah, so what happened, that's not his blood. So he actually stepped through the victim's blood. It's amazing what um, forensic scientists can do with just a footprint like that. Just Mm -hmm. a a couple inches they can figure out, like, what type of shoe, what years the shoe was made, you know. Yeah. It's amazing. On this murder, the killer actually nicked himself, leaving blood droplets. They basically fall by the force of uh, Newtonian gravity. This is kind of where they were seen. Now, I'll put the pictures on talkmurder.com, so if you want to see um, some blood and stuff, you know, go there. So, yeah, I mean, and then in 1999, he basically goes on a rampage, and he kills four women— in 1999. November 19th, 1999, uh, Theresa Shanghai, 55 years old, stabbed 32 times. She was a local accountant. Now, she was actually robbed for her jewelry. The debit card was stolen from her. He used it at the ATM. And what's odd about this is he actually knew the limits of the card. You know how, like, you can only take $500 out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he waited till about, like, 958 
withdrew 500 bucks, then withdrew the other 500 bucks right after midnight so he could uh, get them a separate, you know what I'm saying? Separate days. Yeah, yeah. and it, that basically drained her. I mean, she was dead, but it drained her bank account. The thing about this guy is he's getting the PIN number somehow. Now, the detectives never figured out how because he never told anybody, but most likely he's torturing the victims and saying stuff like, if you give me your PIN number, I'll let you live type of shit. Right. I mean, that's the only viable sense, thing I can of, think you know. of. Yeah, so this is him at the ATM. Now, Mary Glenn, she is the victim. Now, I'm going over a lot of victims. You guys are like, God, he killed a lot of people. He probably killed a lot more. He's probably the most, probably the worst serial killer in Canadian history. If wow. he admits to everything that he's done. All right, Mary Glenn, December 15th, 1999. Her housekeeper actually finds her. She's a graphic artist, active, well-known. Everyone knows and loves her around the village. They actually found a partial fingerprint that matched him. This is how things start going downhill for him. There was a very small fingerprint, which I'm showing you right now. Ah. You see, it's very tiny. Mm -hmm. Okay, they put that in the database and it matched to William Fife. So they actually, oh, wow. yeah. And that was on the inside of the door. This is his MO and everything. He would wait till no one's around, till he knows that you're home, you know, that trooper's home from the vet and everything. He'd approach the door and say, you know, hey, you know, I'm a gardener by trade. I can also do plumbing. I can do electrical. Is there anything you need? And most people would turn him down, just like I turn all these assholes down here that come solicit that shit. But... Some people, some of the women would be like, yeah, actually, I like some crown molding in the bathroom, which makes sense about how Anna, our first victim, was killed. If you think about it, maybe she was going to show him the bathroom that she needed the work done. Right. Because that's the only way I can see it. Because if you think about it, he didn't just kill her right at the door. He killed her in the bathroom. So they they had to build some kind of rapport. So maybe she was taking him into the bathroom to show him what she needed, and then he just... Boom. Right. Got her from behind. That's a good theory. Now, he's obviously a really weakling kind of guy because these are violent struggles and he's getting hurt as well. Obviously not putting up a really good fight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's very kind of weakly guy from what I kind of gathered. Not to mention he's picking on like older women. Yeah. Um, The house worker actually found her. Now we're talking about Mary Glenn here. She is the reason... That this started coming down because that fingerprint they found in the inside of the door. But they found a fingerprint, but you can't celebrate yet because, number one, that fingerprint could have been there for 10 years. Fingerprints just don't magically disappear if you don't wipe them off, right? Plus, it wasn't covered in blood. It wasn't a a blood outline of a fingerprint. So you can't really connect them to the murder. Plus, if he is a handyman and he did work for her, then, of course, his fingerprint might be there. So that really doesn't go on anything. So the cops at this point were reluctant to release this to the public, even though this guy was literally on a rampage. But they did put a 24-hour surveillance on him after this, which was smart. The houseworker, like I said, actually found her dead in a pool of her own blood. This was a an extremely violent murder. Her hair was completely pulled out. Her glasses, which were found at the bottom of the stairs, which I got a picture of that, were bloody and full of her own hair. So he's actually just, you know, he, he doesn't just brandish the knife and just start stabbing. He's trying to muscle them down, trying to maybe push their heads against the wall. You know what I'm saying? Which is making it extremely violent. 
the hairs getting pulled out and everything else. And I think that may play into the rage of why he's doing it because now he's all scratched up and his adrenaline's going and everything. So he's just, he can stab 50 times because to stab someone 50 times, that's a feat. I mean, that's a lot, you know what I'm saying? That's a lot of energy you have to, to do that. Yeah. He turned her on her back as well and beat her to a pulp. That's what the article is saying. They use the word pulp, like his orange juice, which means like, that's awful. Like her whole skull is cracked and everything. From the uh, Montreal Gazette, quote, there was blood everywhere. So much it was not possible to discern the color of her hair. As I said, the fingerprint that they found was very difficult to analyze, but it is how they matched Fife. Now, they did eventually put a 24-hour surveillance on them, and they caught one of the things that really, because they can't, there's no evidence yet. But the the special prosecutor and some other people that are high up there decided that this has to go to the media, that this is a suspect. So under the 24-hour surveillance that he didn't know he was on, he would leave his mother's house because he's staying at his mother's house during the time. It's a little shanty in his Ford blue pickup truck. And he would drive all the way to like Ontario, which was quite a a while away. I mean, he would drive four or five hours just to stop somewhere and look at the newspaper to get the stories about himself. Because, and I was reading it, I kind of understand it, but you know, you have uh, Canadians and then French Canadians. So he was actually going to the French section, if you will, to get the papers in French to see what those papers are talking about him. Because he is really worried that, you know, he knows his face is in the paper and he's trying to plan his next move. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Right. But... They did catch him doing one thing. He took this black trash bag and dropped it off at a church, okay? And inside the church, there were shoes. There was um, a pair of his own pants right here, and it had the blood of one of the victims on it. All the the running shoes had victims' blood on it. So all the murders that he was convicted from, there was evidence for every one of them, which was good. So when he, when you say he was, would drop it off at a church, like, to donate? Yeah, or... he, he just dropped it off, like, at the Goodwill thing. Okay. Yeah. And then the cops, I mean, because he didn't know he was under the uh, surveillance either. Hmm. But he was arrested at a gas station. He went in. I was thinking about it. It's kind of fucked up because he actually pumped his gas and then he went in, and then they arrested him. So I wonder if the detectives is like, let that asshole pump gas first. Spend <laughs> his money. Anyway, he came out, and he was arrested, and he says, quote, why don't you shoot me now? That's what he said. Now, they took him in custody in the interrogation. He didn't want to talk. You know, he said, fuck you, all this stuff. I need my lawyer, all this stuff. But they did offer him a cigarette, because remember, they don't have his DNA yet. He took the cigarette, smoked it, if you're guilty of something and you're being interrogated, don't take anything like Cokes or water or cigarettes. Because or just don't you, kill somebody, guys. That, if you leave it there like he did, he put the cigarette in the ashtray and they got the DNA. Uh, yeah, so that's why you don't do that. That's why you don't eat or drink anything they give you? Yeah. So he was arrested December 22nd, 1999. For the murder of Mary Glenn. Now, they, they only arrested him for the one murder, and they're basically holding him until they can get, get the evidence yeah, for the other ones. Get him to confess. Yeah. So, on uh, October 16th, 2001, he was finally sentenced. So, and of course... No, Canada, don't disappoint me. Don't. 
What do you mean? You can do it, Canada. Do what? Put him away for life with no parole. Is that what you think he got? Do the right thing, Canada. A little steep. You're my only hope. That's a little steep for Canada. Shouldn't be. This is from the Gazette, November 23rd, 2001, if you want to read this. He's serving a full 25 years with no possibility of being paroled, said Mark LaBelle, Fife's lawyer. This situation is final, and one, two, or th- one, two, three, or four more cases will not change a thing. Um, so my issue is 25 years? That's it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, <laughs> for nine... No, no, to- he, got li- he got life in prison, but he can't... Apply for parole for 25 years, which Uh, is now, which is about now. Four years from now. (laughs) So he'll probably be out here in a a couple years. Three years from now. Yeah, he'll be out in three years. But he only pleaded guilty to five murders and some loophole in the Canadian law. Even though he confessed to four other ones, they had to throw him out. So they didn't, it didn't go against him. And I was, you know how America, if you kill, I don't know, five people that you're convicted for, like him, you would get like five life sentences. Right. (laughs) Canada's not like that. They give you one and then let you parole in 25 years, which is what he's going to do. He's definitely going to get out. That's that's for certain. But Canada, um, we need to have a little talk. As I said, there were a there was a lot of unsolved homicides and a lot of and a huge string of rapes that occurred in the 80s before the homicides which kind of plays into like a Golden State Killer type of thing, mm-hmm. like escalation. So he may be the rapist before that, which was running around the same area known for the moniker The Plumber. Oh. And he is now in a maximum security prison in Saskatchewan. But, you know, he won't be there for that many more years. Such nice people, but come on. I mean, that's pretty much all this guy is. There's not a lot on this case, you know, and I, I believe I know why is because Canada literally fucked it up. I mean, they let a serial killer go for so long. And then the thing about it, if you read more into this story and they're going to let him go. I mean, he was on freaking a day pass when he committed his first murder. Well, here's the thing about the story when so he took a 10 year break. He basically stopped killing in 89 and then took a break and started killing again in, like, 1990s. Okay, 1999 or whatever. They didn't think to connect those at all, you know? And it's not like detectives have retired by then. That's a 10-year difference. Right. To, so to not even be able to connect a series of murders with the exact same M.O. in the exact same area after 10 years is, like are you guys even trying kind of shit? You know what I'm saying? It's just, and that's why I believe this isn't a very public case. It's because it's embarrassing. Mm. I mean, he killed, I mean, who fucking knows how many people he killed? Definitely more than nine. Nine is the only ones, well, they they found him for five. They convicted him for five. That's all they knew about. But he admitted four because he wanted to move prisons and he needed a bargaining tool so they said all right if you want to move prisons you know you got to confess to you know whatever form of murder so he did but that doesn't mean that's all he's got hmm. that's you know true saying? yeah they would only know about five if he didn't 
openly confessed to four other ones. So I really doubt, you know, he's stopped at nine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think he's killed a lot of people. Like a lot of people. I don't think he just stopped for 10 years. That doesn't happen at all. Unless you're the Golden State Killer, but the Golden State Killer was older back then. You know, he stopped because he was like mm. 60. I mean, not well, 60, but he, like he 50. had like He had life events yeah. that triggered something too. Yeah. So, I mean, he stopped because mm. he was getting older, you know. I mean, this guy just stopped randomly and then picked back up, which makes me think that he didn't stop at all. It's just Canada didn't know how to, you know, connect. The, I mean, because the ammo is pretty specific. Single woman, living at home. No forced entry, no murder weapon left behind, bank cards used. It's pretty specific. And then the savagery of the attacks, 55 stab wounds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you really enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button order podcasting app you use if you really like the story. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our handyman, go to talkamer.com slash join, become a talk supremo, get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love, shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. Until next time, good night, lovely people.